Well, good morning. Welcome to worship at Calvary, wherever you might be, all of you here in the worship center, all of you over in our chapel this morning, all of you at our Minnetonka campus. Make sure you give Pastor Greg a high five on the way out from me and a welcome to anyone who might be watching online somewhere else in the world. So great to be able to worship together in Jesus name. So this morning is our final week of a series that we're in called First Things First. And we've been talking about the importance of thinking about our priorities in life, thinking about our devotion and our commitment, really what is first when it comes to our daily life. Now, I want to invite you right now to come back next week because believe it or not, Advent starts next Sunday, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And we've got a really great series that we'll be kicking off next week called The Weight of Christmas. And you'll want to come and be a part of that. But this morning, as we finish up our First Things First series, we're reminded of a verse or something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. And then all your other needs will be met as well. Now, it's a very simple statement, but the ramifications of actually putting this into practice are huge. What does it mean to seek God first, to do what he wants us to do first, and then to worry about all the other stuff later? I think for most of us, we'd say it's a pretty lofty goal. It might not be something that we put into practice each and every day. Because you see, in week one, we talked about how there's a competition in our hearts. There's a competition for what's going to be first place. What are we going to be most devoted to? What are we most committed to? And we talked about how anything that takes God's rightful place being first in our life, is really an idol. And the thing about idols is they make a lot of promises, but they're promises they can never keep. Idols end up being disappointing and harmful to us and the people around us. And so then last week we talked about when we start to come to terms with the idea that there's a competition in our hearts, we have a challenge each and every day. We have a challenge to face that reality. And one of the ways that we can do that is by asking the question, how can I put God first in both my living and my giving? And we looked at a passage from the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. And we talked about one of the ways that we are told to meet the challenge that we have faced in our everyday life is to give sacrificially first and then live on the rest. Because when we give first, it invites God into the center of who we are, into the center of our daily reality. It's an act of faith and trust first, not waiting till later. And so this week, as we finish up this series, we're going to talk about making a commitment. We come to terms with the idea that there's this competition going on for first place. The challenge is to recognize that daily. It doesn't go away. We can't check it off the list. But then, what is the commitment that we're willing to make going forward? But I think as we think about commitment, the place to start is not ourselves, 
We need to start with God. We need to start with who he is and what his character is and who he is and how he chooses to interact with us and really what he does for us on a daily basis. Because the question of why do we give is as simple as because God gives to us. But God gives again and again and again and again. It's all throughout the pages of scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God is a God who gives. I mean, think about the very, very, very beginning in the book of Genesis. God brought all things into being by giving a word. He spoke reality and order and life into existence by giving his word. But then he took a handful of dirt and he gave it life by breathing into it. And then God gave the first human being a companion and a place to live and a job to do. Now, when the human beings messed everything up very quickly, God continued to give to them He gave them clothes to wear made out of animal skins. He took the curse that was meant for them and he deflected it onto the ground because of his grace. And he continued to be present with them even despite the mess they made. Well, then God gave their descendants the promise of hope and a land and a future. God gave them the leader they needed to get out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. He gave them laws to teach them how to live, to honor him and to honor each other. God gave them judges and prophets and eventually kings to help lead and guide them. And God gave them never-ending grace and patience when they messed up again and again and they rebelled against him. Now, when things started to really fall apart, And it felt really dark and hopeless. God promised to them that one day he would give in a way that God had never given ever before. And so God gave himself to us by actually becoming one of us. It's what we'll celebrate on Christmas. Now, one of the most famous verses out of the entire Bible says this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And through his son, God gave us teaching and stories and healing and miracles and challenges for us to live our life alongside. And eventually in the most radical and unexpected turn of events, God gave his son's life on the cross for us as a sacrifice for our sin. He gave us the ultimate solution to our sin and our brokenness. You see, sin demands punishment. Sin demands a sacrifice. But he didn't leave it up to us to go and try to figure out. No, God gave us the perfect sacrifice once and for all with his one and only son. Now, you see, God's response before we could ever do anything or give anything or say anything or deserve anything was to generously give to us again 
And again, I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't just give something small. He didn't just give us an afterthought. He doesn't give us just a fraction of who he is. No, he gave his all for you and for me. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, think about that incredible generosity he gave to us before we could ever give anything in return. And I think this is precisely where we need to center our thinking today when it comes to giving and living. This is something, this is a reality that should cause us to completely reorder our lives and our priorities because it's such an amazing, amazing gift. It's the very best gift that has ever, ever been given. And it was given to us with no strings attached. It was given fully out of his love for you and for me. Now God invites us to receive his free gift of grace and to build our life on him, to let him lead and guide us from day to day and to shape us into looking more and more like him. Now, he's God, so he could have forced us to do this. He could have turned us into robots or puppets. He could have demanded that we get our act together first before receiving anything. He could have asked us to prove our worth to him, but he didn't. Instead, he gave everything he could first. And then he invites us into a new way of living, the way that he designed life to be in the first place, where our priorities are in order with him at the top, where we look to him who is the giver and the creator and the sustainer of life, where we look to him for meaning and purpose and identity and security. I mean, think of how tempted we are to try to find those things in other places. But you see, God will never let us down and he'll never stop giving what we truly need. Now, I think when you truly let that reality and that truth settle in, when you understand the priceless gift that you have been freely given, the only question then is, what will my response be? What will my commitment to him be? You see, we start with the goodness and the generosity of God given to us freely. And now we are invited to respond with a commitment because God did not only just give us his son, he didn't only give us his grace, he actually gave us every single thing we have, every possession, every relationship, every dollar that we have belongs to him. And you see, he wants us to use what he has blessed us with to his glory and to help and bless others. Not because we have to. No, because we get to. 
It's the way he meant life to work. Well, I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 6. And this is what the Apostle Paul has to say about living a generous life. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Now, I think there are some important questions for us to ask that are directly from this passage. And the first question we need to ask is what kind of impact do you want to make? What kind of impact do you want to make with your life? In verse six, Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I mean, we all know we have a limited amount of time on earth and we get to choose what we're going to make of it. And if you want to make an impact that truly lasts, that makes an eternal difference for the kingdom, we well, need to put God first. You know, when we fail to put God first, we end up giving him our leftovers. We make him in afterthoughts. And that's the kind of impact we ultimately will have. It's so much less than he invites us into. It's so much less fulfilling than what he dreams for us because ultimately it lacks faith and trust in him. You know, I think way too many of us from a day-to-day -day basis, we operate more with a scarcity mindset than with an abundance type of mindset. It's easy to look around and to compare ourselves to everyone else, to never feel like we have enough or to figure, you know, I'll just be generous sometime down the road when it feels easier. But I think what we're doing is we're forgetting who God really is. In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If you can see it, if you can think about it, if you can conceive of it, it belongs to God. It's all his. 
In Psalm 50, it says he has cattle on a thousand hills, which doesn't sound super impressive maybe in 2023, but what it's implying again is that everything belongs to God, which is to say, don't underestimate what he's able and willing to do. See, there's an important truth that we talked about last week. And that's that God's blessing and our giving are interconnected. It's really what verse six is getting at. God's blessing and our giving are interconnected. Every time we give, it's a tangible, real life demonstration of our faith. It's saying we don't just believe in God. No, we actually believe God. God, and there's a huge difference, and he blesses that. You see, God asks us to give our first and our best to him, and then he'll bless the rest. Now, sometimes in the Bible, this is called first fruits giving, that we bring our first and our best, not our leftovers. It's not like when you're at a store or a restaurant, and you have the little tip thing, and you hit some you know, button, God's not looking for a tip. No, he wants to be the first in our list of priorities. Now, the baseline for biblical giving, putting God first in our finances is called tithing. We talked about this last week, that tithing is giving our first 10% to the mission of God through the local church. Now, this isn't just an arbitrary thing. Deuteronomy 14 says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Because remember, we have a challenge every day. We have a competition in our hearts. The purpose of giving God our first and our best is so that we always put him first in our lives. And when we take God at his word, when we live generously like he asks us to, it brings our life back into alignment just the way he designed it. And we're invited into his blessings. The second question for us to ask this morning is, what is my attitude toward my giving? What is my attitude toward my giving? In verse seven, Paul says, you must each decide in your hearts how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, whenever I do a giving series at a church, and it's been 20 plus years now, I love to watch everybody's faces. But don't worry, because here in the worship center, we have such bright spotlights, you all just look like a bunch of faceless blobs, all right? But in other churches where I could actually see people, I love to watch the response. Because some people would just look annoyed or angry. Some people would squirm. I'm pretty sure some people would be grabbing their wallets, like just hoping you know, an usher wasn't lurking somewhere. Other people would be dozing off, but that's kind of like every week. One of my favorite side notes is maybe every month or so, somebody will come up to me really enthusiastic and say, I actually stayed awake for your whole message today. (laughs) I guess, thank you. you But I think we have a variety of responses when it comes to money, right? For many of us, we're uncomfortable. Maybe we're suspicious, Because we like to think of our money 
as ours. I earned it. I deserve it. I get to do whatever I want with it. No one else can tell me what to do. But you see what Paul is getting at here in verse seven is our motivation for giving. He says, don't give because other people are doing it. Don't give spitefully. Don't give bitterly. Don't give half-heartedly because God is most concerned with the condition of your heart. And a godly heart is a generous heart. So let me ask again, what's your attitude toward giving? Towards supporting God's mission? Where is your heart at this morning? Are you feeling annoyed? Are you feeling attacked? Are you feeling defensive? Now, another question I want you to consider is what brings you great joy in giving? What kind of generosity makes your heart leap? For instance, maybe it's supporting missionaries in a third world country, sharing the gospel with people who have never heard. Maybe it's discipling kids and youth in such a contentious time in history. Maybe it's helping people in need in our community that don't have enough to eat or a place to sleep. Well, you see, your giving through the mission of Calvary does all of this and so much more. And you know what? The more we give together, the greater impact we are able to have together. I'm proud to say in the past year, we have given over $500,000 away to community organizations and outreach and global missions and outreach. That's out of our general fund and our endowment funds. You see, we are able to do so much good together. Now, if we continue to be generous together, there's so much more that God wants to do in and through our church. We would love to grow our staff at our Minnetonka campus. We would love to feed more hungry people. We would love to support even more missionaries around the world. We want to continue to disciple families. We want to reach more youth and children. And we want to create an environment for people to come and experience God's presence and grace. And together, we can do that when we have a generous heart. Number three, do you trust God to provide? Verse eight says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I think one of the reasons we often struggle with being generous, we don't really believe or trust God. We don't fully believe that he's going to follow through on the promises that he's made. We don't really believe he's going to provide what we need. Now, don't confuse this with the prosperity gospel that tells you if, if you give, you're going to be showered with riches. I mean, sometimes we look at a verse like we just looked at and we wonder, I mean, how can we even decipher that with these millionaire TV preachers alongside starving children in Africa? It just doesn't compute. Well, I think it's really important and helpful to distinguish between extravagance and abundance. You see, extravagance is excessive. It's more than is necessary or needed. Abundance is different. 
abundance as is described in the gospels and by the apostle Paul is not excessive or more than necessary. You see, the abundance of God fills us at the deepest level and it satisfies a hunger within us that no amount of food or any meal can ever touch. You see, God gives us abundance, not so that we can stockpile it or we can bask in it or we can brag about it. No, it's so we can even more fully participate in God's redeeming work in the world. We experience abundance the most when we simply loosen our grip on the things of this world and when we live more open-handed and generously when we invest into eternal things, the things that bring God glory. But it comes down to a question of faith and trust and what you really believe about God. Church, what would it look like for you in this next season to take a step of faith when it comes to generosity, when it comes to truly trusting that God will provide what you really need. So number four is, are you ready for the next level of generosity? Verses 10 and 11 say, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. As we began with, it all starts with who God is. God is a God who gives generously. And he expects his people to respond by giving generously. Generosity is really evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life. The more you submit yourself to Jesus, the more of him and the less of you is in your life. And his character is formed within you. Your heart beats more with his. And so for those who are following Jesus, giving just becomes a way of life because that's precisely the way he lived. But you know, just like we need to exercise to stay in shape, to keep up our muscle mass and our bone density and our flexibility, giving provides spiritual exercise for us. It allows us to become even more open and flexible when it comes to the work and the direction of the Holy Spirit. When we live generously, it opens up more opportunities that God gives us to increase our generosity and to be a part of what he's doing in people's lives. Giving is spiritual exercise for the soul. Now, study after study show that people who live generously with open hands are healthier physically, emotionally, and mentally. I mean, it's what Jesus told us. He said, it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. Because again, it's the way he meant for life to work. So what would it look like for you to stretch your giving muscles so that you can be built up in him? What is God calling you to in the next year when it comes to generosity? Are you willing to take another step of faith in order to do God's will 
and to walk in God's grace. Now, for some of you, perhaps it's trying to tithe for the first time ever. Maybe it's taking God up on his challenge. He says, test me in this and see if I won't provide and bless you. For others, maybe it's signing up for regular recurring giving. So making giving a regular event in your life. For others, maybe it's simply making an offering to God for the very first time. Because you see, when we step out in generosity, then God trusts us with opportunities to even be more generous. And when we're blessed with more, it's not to increase our standard of living. No, it's actually to increase our standard of giving. Which leads to number five. How much of yourself are you giving to God? In the end, giving and generosity are so much more than about just money. It's really about the posture of our hearts and our lives. And so I want to end with a short story that's familiar to many of you. It's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, starting with verse 41. Jesus is nearby the temple, and he's kind of observing what's going on. It says, sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. And here's the key. He says, she gave her all. I mean, Jesus is pointing out there's people that are putting in a whole lot of money but only a fraction of themselves. I mean, they had the capacity to write a really huge check, but they were holding back when it came to fully giving their lives and their hearts to God. But then there's this poor widow, and you need to remember that widows were at the very bottom of the social ladder. They were completely dependent on the goodness of others to even survive. Well, this widow, she put in a fraction of the money of the others, but she gave all of herself. You see, that's what God wants from you and from me. Not just a fraction, but our all. To surrender ourselves to him. And whatever we're tempted to claw back or to cling to, that's precisely where he wants to do a work in you. So church, every day, there's a competition for our hearts. And the daily challenge is to put God first and to model his kind of generosity. So what will your commitment to God be? How much is his mission worth to you? I believe our loving and generous God is worthy of our all. And he's inviting you into the kind of life that he hopes and he dreams for you, which is a life of increasing generosity. So during the next song, if you'd like to make a commitment 
a declaration of who's going to be first in your life. I'm going to invite you to bring your commitment card up to the front of your worship venue, wherever you are worshiping, and to put it in one of the buckets. Now, if you don't have a commitment card, if you didn't get one in the mail, the ushers have some in the back of your worship venue. Or if you'd rather not come up front, you can always drop it off in one of the offering boxes or just make it between you and God. There's absolutely no pressure or obligation at all. No, it's a grace-filled invitation to step out in faith and to truly experience God's blessings and his provision. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who gives and gives and gives that you are so incredibly generous to each one of us. And God, you know the struggle we have, the competition that we have in our hearts of what's going to be first. And God, we confess to you that all too often we put our faith and our trust in things of this world. And so God, through your Holy Spirit's power, help us to take on that challenge every day to put you first in our giving and our living. God, help us to have the faith and the trust and the love for you to make a commitment to put you first. God, help us to not just stay in our comfort zone, but instead challenge us, instead compel us, invite us to trust you more, to be even more generous than we ever thought was possible. God, help us to walk even more closely with you. We're so thankful for how you give. And above all else, we thank you for giving us the gift of your son, Jesus. And so we pray all these things in the powerful name of your son. And let's all say together, amen.